Greetings. This is your host, Scott Swanstrom, and this is Mind Redefined, Lifting the Stigma Around Mental Health. And today's episode is Protecting Your Kids from Sexual Exploitation. And we have a returning guest with us today. This is uh, Rachel White with her song, Jax. Rachel, thank you for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Scott. Absolutely. Uh, Can you remind us again of your role and and just kind of what you are bringing to the table today? Of course. I'm Rachel. I'm a licensed counselor. I'm also the founder and president of Her Song, and I'm the VP of anti-trafficking for the Tim Tebow Foundation. So we're here in the Jacksonville, Northeast Florida area, working primarily with sex trafficking victims, providing residential care and programs for them. Excellent. So welcome back. I think our conversation is very timely right now as kids are going back to school. And it seems like there's an ever increasing danger that our kids are in. Maybe that might be even from a personal point of view, as I'm now the father of two teenagers and a preteen, and they're, they're getting older, of course, and I want to protect my kids. Of course, we hear a lot of bad news in the news on a regular basis. I want to really provide some tools for our parents, things to be aware of maybe even a little bit of hope and relief towards the end of our episode today. But before we jump into the deep content that we're going to be talking about, what is one thing that you're celebrating today? Wow, I'm celebrating a lot of things. It's hard to choose just one, Scott, but I'll just say an amazing team of people that are all around me doing great work in the community that feel called to it. It's their purpose. They come to work with passion and skill and positivity. And I'm just so thankful and celebrating that I get to work at Her Song with all these great people. That is a fantastic thing to celebrate. (laughs) Um, All right. So in regards to Her Song Jax, you see a lot of what's going on behind the scenes in regards to human trafficking. Can you recap for us what human trafficking is? And is it always in a sexual nature? Oh, no, it's not always in a sexual nature. And I think for us, you know, human trafficking is defined by U.S. federal law, and there are severe forms of trafficking that include both sex trafficking and labor trafficking. And we are seeing both. We do receive referrals for both. But I think it's important to define those. Sex trafficking is the recruitment and harboring, transportation, provision, obtaining, patronizing, or soliciting of a person for the purpose of a commercial sex act in which that sex act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or in the case of a person who is forced to do those acts has not attained 18 years of age. And really, honestly, force doesn't have to be a part of that. If there is a child, somehow there's transactional sex going on, that is considered to be sex trafficking. And then labor trafficking, it looks the same, except The purpose of it is to subject someone to servitude of some sort, some type of debt bondage or slavery. And we see that happening in in various sectors. It could be farming, factory work, construction work, hotels, the hospitality industry, massage parlors. And I think at Hersong, oftentimes we do see even a combination of the two. Um, We'll get referrals for people that have been both sex trafficked and labor trafficked. And so we have to remain nimble as an organization in responding to the varied needs because those are not the same thing. And sometimes the, the aftermath of that requires a different kind of care. So I think it's important that we understand the difference between sex trafficking and labor trafficking. And also that we understand that it has many tentacles, really. 
we think about things that might feed into sex trafficking, like pornography, or, you know, we're seeing a lot of online sexual exploitation happening, especially since COVID. It was already happening, but I think COVID, because it's driven our entire world even more so online, we're seeing that being used to exploit people all around the world for a profit. Rachel, how close to home is this for folks? I I know there's kind of this mysticism about it, that it's not close to me. Maybe someone listening is in a rural community. Where is this happening? How close to us might this be? Can you shine a little light on that for us? Oh, I'd be so happy to. And I want to poke holes in everybody's thinking that's listening because it is happening in your backyard. And that's something we say often because we know it to be true. People have a tendency, and we'll just take sex trafficking, for example. We tend to think of that as people that are out there in a certain location, walking on a certain street, a certain maybe being in a strip club or something like that. And we think of it as removed from us. But I can assure you, based on my almost nine years of experience, that trafficking is sometimes happening in the house next door to us. You know, a parent of a child is selling their child, and we have no clue. It's happening through our schools, and there are kids being recruited inside of our schools to be trafficked for sex. It is happening in your living room when your kids are on their PlayStation or some other kind of gaming, online gaming system. This is right around us, and it doesn't matter if it's we're in a city. We may have see more incidences of trafficking in a city, maybe because we have more awareness or there's more service providers, there's more eyes on, but you get into rural communities and it's prevalent there as well. And I would just say anywhere there's a demand for sex in particular, then you're going to have victims. You know, this is a market driven industry. And so when there's a demand for something, the supply rises to meet the demand, if you will. That's fascinating and really scary at the same time. Mm-hmm. So getting into the weeds and, and how this process happens, because we're wanting to really just equip folks to be able to identify how this occurs. How is this happening in our own backyard? How do traffickers identify victims and what is their process or their tactics for acquiring victims? Traffickers are predators. They're opportunists. They have systematic ways of recruiting luring and then grooming to get what they want, right? And so traffickers are very prevalent online. Right now, the most prevalent means of recruitment for children for online sexual exploitation is online, you know, pictures, sexting, apps. We see a lot of traffickers are recruiting through a lot of different social media apps. I'll give you an example. Well, everybody knows probably what Snapchat is, WhatsApp, And there's other apps. There's one called Calculator and it has a percent sign after it. And it's a secret app that's used to hide photos, videos, files, and browser history. And so we know that there are always new apps. It seems like on a daily basis. And traffickers are using this to recruit, to groom, to exploit, to traffic, TikTok. You know, there's just many, many ways that traffickers are using the internet to recruit and lure our kids. And I think beyond that, as a society, I think we can, and as you know, social workers, social service providers, we can look at society and really pinpoint some of the vulnerabilities that make people susceptible to this luring, recruiting, and grooming process. And that's going to be people that are isolated, people that are looking for love, looking for belonging, 
maybe girls looking to be loved by a boyfriend. You know, we are looking for people that might be more marginalized, like the LGBTQ community might be more vulnerable because they're marginalized by society at large. We may see non-English speaking people, foreign born people coming into the U.S. And of course, they don't speak our language. So that's a vulnerability. So I think there's many vulnerabilities for potential victims. And I think it's important that we're aware of those and know that these vulnerabilities, if we have the power to address those, then we need to because traffickers, that's what they're looking for. And I think online, they're so crafty and manipulative and they're able to really spot the girl or the child that's insecure, that maybe is posting pictures, wanting affirmation, you know, wanting to be beautiful, wanting, you know, to be loved or something like that. And they're able to really pose as somebody else, but then ultimately somehow exploit them. I know a number of young ladies, even from my home church in my own community that have great families, great parents, lots of stability, but because they're behind a closed door on their laptop, supposedly going to online school, you know, they're extremely vulnerable. They've been extorted for money. And it's just a real challenge that we're facing right now, I think, in our world to keep our kids safe while they're online. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that you brought up a lot of the apps, especially the ones that really have a secretive component to it, like calculator. These are just things that a lot of parents are ignorant of. It's really important to be educated on those things. Just kind of as a side question, is there a magic number in regards to the age for kids to have certain devices or anything like that that you would recommend or any suggestions for parents in regards to device usage? Wow. The advice would be to monitor, to put filters in place. I think that obviously having a digital device comes with a level of stewardship and responsibility if you're going to use that freely. But how do you do that when you're a three-year-old in the grocery cart has an iPad, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're watching funny videos on YouTube? YouTube can get dark really fast. Again, there's no substitute for a parent paying attention, monitoring, And really even protecting our kids, being really clear on defining what's acceptable, what's not. And sadly, we're having to talk to really young children about dangerous people. We really want to shelter our kids, don't we? We want them to grow up carefree and feeling like there's there's no danger. We want to buffer them and protect them from the world and the evil things that are lurking out there. But because everybody is online and everybody has a screen in front of them, I think we have to be so intentional if we want to protect our children because literally no child is immune to the recruitment and the grooming of predators. They're not as long as they have a digital device. So I think parents, we just need to be aware We need to be diligent and we need to not be afraid to have boundaries, guidelines. Maybe the computer is in the family room and not the bedroom, right? Where the screen is facing out and that way the mom can work or the dad can work, but they're still monitoring and things that can blockers and filters. And there's lots of products out there that can help parents be good custodians of their kids online time. Absolutely. That is a good word. You know, we're talking about online, we're talking about apps and devices and the like, but I'm sure it's still very prominent in the public. There's person-to-person interactions where recruitment may be taking place. How can we identify traffickers and victims in the public? And what should we do if we recognize something that seems to be off? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of people are asking this question because 
we're starting to have such a greater awareness about trafficking. And I think the public is concerned about this issue. I think people do want to respond. But I also think it's very difficult to identify traffickers in public because they can look like anyone. And I do think that as a community, we really want to be proactive in caring for our neighbors. And I think how we do that is we know people, we know their stories, we support people when they're in trouble. But I think it's just really challenging in a passing by kind of way to identify somebody that's being trafficked in a moment. I think this is where the community can be responsive, though, and that is when someone is in need. If we're referring them to a service provider of any sort, whether that's social services or medical services, dental services, anything like that, all of us should be trained in screening and identifying human trafficking. Law enforcement, they are trained to screen and identify sometimes human trafficking. And so I think it's very difficult for the public, but I think we can be a link in the chain in helping people get the help that they need. And hopefully all the people that are helpers in our community are trained on screening and identifying because there's a certain set of factors, I believe, Scott, that are just all working together. And, you know, when we're just passing by people and we don't really know them, we're not going to necessarily be able to see these things. Sometimes our spidey senses go off when we're watching something and we think, wow, something's really off here. What is it? And maybe we should look into it. I think across the board, we're all mandatory reporters on any kind of abuse that we're witnessing. And we should not be afraid to make that phone call. You know, if we are witnessing someone being abused, there's several categories, you know, the indicators fall in and, and that's signs that a person's being controlled or monitored, especially by an unrelated person, maybe for an emergency room visit or something like that. I think there can be signs that they don't have the freedom to leave or to move around. There's signs of physical abuse, you know, that can look like bruises or some other type of injury or scars. I know a lot of the young ladies we've worked with have been scarred, you know, across their faces with razor blades or on their legs, they've been cut with knives. Many of them are branded with tattoos of ownership. And that can look like dollar signs or a gang sign or someone's name tattooed on their foot or their chest or their back or their neck or something like that. And so we're looking for those physical signs, but also mental and psychological, you know, signs as well. Those indicators are there. And trafficking victims can be very brazen and bold and angry and loud and out there, but they can also be very fearful and anxious and depressed. And there's obvious signs of trauma. And I think it's the combination of many of these factors that really starts to clue us into a possible trafficking situation and the dynamics of that. And so, again, I think it's so important that our community service providers, our law enforcement, our hospitals, anybody that's intersecting with potential victims, even business owners, everything from a convenience store to people driving Ubers to, you know, employees at Walmart, all of us should be able to really see some of those signs and be able to take one step to help to get them to someone who could potentially screen them. And I think the human trafficking, National Human Trafficking Hotline has a page on their website where people can go and just look at, you know, what's involved in reporting human trafficking and what is it that I'm really looking for. And I think that's a great resource for all of us. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Is there anything else that you would also include in regards to protecting our kids from traffickers? I know with a lot of monitoring with online and device usage and that sort of thing, 
paying attention to those, setting those boundaries in place. Are there any recommendations, tips, ideas that we can work with our kids just in case they're placed in a dangerous situation? You know, just kind of throwing ideas out with like code words or code texting or anything like that. Is there anything you would recommend also just to continue to further the protection of our kids? Oh, yes. All of it. All of that. You know, parents get into your child's business. You know, this is how we love them well and we protect them. Some of this is training, training your kids. What does a dangerous situation look like? How do you know if someone is safe or unsafe? Because the skillfulness of traffickers are is really that recruitment process, behaving like a safe person, right? And so it really messes with with a child's mind when they say, but this person was so nice to me and they said they cared about me and look, they gave me these nice things. And, you know, there was nothing dangerous about it in the moment. So I think we just have to have these conversations with our kids that are age appropriate. Yes, have code words, check in, check your child's location, turn it on on their phone so you can know where they are at all times, know their friends. I'm a big proponent of no sleepovers, just way too many stories of kids being exposed to things that maybe they wouldn't be in your own home, you know, so being very protective of the vulnerability of our children is, I think, super important. And we're trying to tackle this from all angles. And her song has been working with Duval County Public Schools for a while, just bringing some education to the classroom. But also now we have an evidence-based curriculum that is training for our teachers and our students in an age-appropriate manner, K through 12. We're not talking about sex trafficking in particular in kindergarten, but we are talking about online safety and human rights and identity and power to choose and things like that all at an age-appropriate manner. So hopefully, we are impacting this whole new generation of people that are potential, not only potential victims, but potential buyers. If we're talking about online sex or buying sex in general, you know, we're impacting people that are potential victims, buyers, and traffickers in the classroom. So we just can't do enough to educate and bring awareness to this issue. So parents, gosh, put your big girl pants on, your big boy pants on and have these hard conversations with your kids. That's what love does. Yeah, absolutely. Those are tough conversations, but so necessary. It's a day and age where it feels like we need to be braver than ever, but there Mm -hmm. is supports out there and helps out there. There is hope. If there are any resources that you would recommend to parents, Rachel, where would you direct them? Even community leaders, or uh, pastoral staff or uh, volunteers, where would you shine a light and direct them? You know, as far as a resource and just learning more, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has some wonderful resources and they have NetSmarts, which teaches kids online safety. It's a wonderful resource that's there. The A21 campaign has a great resource for teenagers. It's called Bodies Are Not Commodities. It's a curriculum, especially geared towards teens. It's something you can do, you know, with your youth group at your church, or maybe just if you have a bunch of teenagers hanging out your house, you can say, hey, this is a great topic. Let's learn about this, you know, and let's have fun too, you know. And so I think those are some great resources that are out there. You know, if people do have questions, they can always reach out to us at hersong, info at hersongjacks.org. They can go to our website and we're happy to provide any direction if someone's really seeking those resources. We do have our evidence-based curriculum in schools now. And if we've got 
potential teachers or school administrators that are listening and they're like, hey, we'd like to know more about this. They can, again, reach out to us at Her Song via our website or just giving us a call or numbers on our website. And we're happy just to walk them through that and help them figure out how to implement this in their school, whether it's private or public or whatever. We have this curriculum available and it's completely free. Excellent. Those are some great resources, Rachel. And from one parent to another, I really appreciate your insight. And it's just a great reminder that parents need each other. They need to band together, look out for each other and to provide those supports and resources as you've just done. So, Rachel, thank you again so much for your time today. And uh, just again, sharing from your expertise in Her Song Jacks. We just want to celebrate what you guys are doing. It's the good work and it needs to be celebrated more. So thank you again, Rachel. Well, I really appreciate it, Scott. Thank you. Thank you.